0: bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting community here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Panel. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, This is Monday, May 25th, the day of release of this episode, year 2020. Happy Memorial Day to all those living in the U.S., And I just wanted to let you know that this conversation was actually recorded back in February. So it might sound a little out of sync. We do not mention the global pandemic that we are all experiencing. And there is a lot of fabulous takeaways um, that KJ shares with us. So enjoy this beautiful conversation today. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have the lovely K.J. Delantonio, who has been writing on parenting for a long time, has actually just come out with a new novel, not about parenting, but we will be talking about all of that. And so K.J., thank you so much for making the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Yes. So as I like to start with all my guests, i like to have you define the art of parenting. Oh, the <laughs>
1: art of parenting. Now, it's, it's an excellent question and an excellent way to frame it. You know, the art of parenting is the art of figuring out what you need to help your child with and what you need to help your child to help themselves with.
0: Mm hmm. Very, very important.
1: Very important. <laughs> I, could, I could define it in a billion other ways, I think. But but that's really right up there.
0: It is. It is of how to help them fend for themselves and. be. Mm-hmm be, you know, full fledged human being on this planet. So yes.
1: Yes, that's what we could say. The art of parenting is learning how to make yourself unnecessary. It's not original, <laughs> but it's absolutely true.
0: But absolutely true, yes. And take no offense of it. No. That's the goal. <laughs> yes. So um I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your journey. And I know you've been writing a lot about parenting over the years. You've just come out with a novel, but just if you would share a little bit about your background and what you're up to these days.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I have been a parenting journalist for more than a decade. I ran the New York times, motherlode blog for a long time as it transitioned into the well family blog. Um, I'm not with the times officially anymore, although I do write for them occasionally, but I spent, um, I spent a few years writing for Slate on this topic and then five years writing and editing everything in the Times from my own contributions to contributions from other people. I wrote about policy. I wrote about uh, you know, the impact of our social roles. I wrote about gender. I wrote about everything from very, very rarely the personal, um, also rarely the political, but sort of that spot in between where... Who we are as as a as a group, as a generation, as a nation—I don't know—as a as a people—affects the kids that who we are as parents and who we are raising. Beautiful.
0: And when from from all of that uh, writing and editing other people's work, are there kind of some themes that uh, kept on coming up that you that you? Found interesting and yes. important for us to to talk about.
1: Yes. So uh, as I at about year four of of my time with the times, maybe a little late, later even, um, I started to put together my book, which is called How to Be a Happier Parent. And what had really happened is that throughout all of this, um, from from sort of the very first day I I wrote my first thing about parenting, especially through reading. Uh, the essays that we published and the contributions that we were not able to publish. And just, I mean, I've talked to thousands of parents uh, about everything from uh, finding new housing after Katrina to figuring out how to be a senator and also have young children. And one thing that just rang consistently true for all of those people, and of course, in the case of finding new housing after Katrina, it was a, a fair one, was that we just weren't we weren't happy when we ought to be happy. or I mean, ought is, ought is, a, um, is a, a, maybe ought isn't the right word, but here most of us were, leading these really great Western lives with all the food and shelter and possible joy that we could possibly imagine, and yet, and yet. So much of what we wrote and thought and talked about was consumed by this sort of um, you know, mommy needs a martini style parenting where we felt like the thing to do was to complain and the thing to do was to be put upon and the way to be as a parent was uh, a martyr role in the service of your kids. And I didn't enjoy doing that. I didn't enjoy writing about it. And I really wanted to figure out, how we got there and how we could maybe try to find a different way to approach this.
0: I love that because that, that resonates with me so much where, where a lot of the work that I do is to get away from that, you know, that, that I notion that parenting has to be so hard that it's, that it's, you know, even even like the the whole media around birth and all of that is like it's it's grueling. It's hard. It's, you know, like you say, mommy needs a martini. I mean, yeah, we need one once in a while, but not necessarily because of parenting. It's it's well, I mean, just, yeah. you know, it's just life. There so- are things
1: that are hard, but there are a lot of things that we make harder than they uh, need to be because we feel like if it's not hard, it's not worthy. Or if it's mm. not hard, we're not doing it well enough. Or if it's not hard, we should probably do something more. It's a very um sort of a, a
0: Puritan outlook on parenting and we, we must suffer for our children. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, where, where do you think that comes from? So you say it's just that Puritan upbringing of well, uh, this country.
1: Uh, I I don't think it's unique to America, but it is it is pretty American. I mean you find variations on it and my book's been published in uh countries that amaze me honestly. Poland has this, China, it's it's out in Mandarin Chinese, which delights me. But um it really is it's a modern parent thing and it tends to be a Western parent thing. And I think it actually stems Partly, yes, from our feeling that if we're not working, we're not amounting to anything, but really from our fears that we've got, we're raising children who are looking ahead at a world that does not look familiar to us. Um, our, Our parents when they looked at sort of our high school experience and what, what we could expect to be our college experience, they probably, a lot of them were looking at something not dissimilar to what they had been through. And in some ways we are, you know, we want, a lot of us want our children to to go to four-year college if we did and we have these certain expectations. But in so many ways, well, when we look ahead, we're just not sure what we see for them. I mean, there is research out there that suggests that Most of the jobs that will be around in 20 years aren't even things we have thought of yet, and Mm -hmm. that is terrifying for us. So I think there is a really resounding feeling we're just really afraid we've left something on the table, that, you know, our kid's going to turn 20 and be unqualified for that mystery job, and it's all going to be because we did not enroll them in the coding class when they were four. (laughs)
0: I love it I love it straight arrow shot from you to blame (laughs) and it's so funny because my philosophy from the time I was expecting my first one I decided and I told myself you're gonna do the very best you can and no matter what you do you will be blamed for something (laughs) so just you know and it's and and I've you know I've had fun raising these two young adults who are figuring their stuff out and 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 doing a great job at it but i think you know all we can do is give them the tools to for you know to land that mystery job like you say it's yeah that's that's all we can really do
1: and to teach them that being an adult can be and should be a fun, joyful thing. I mean, I I feel like a lot of our kids look at us as we sort of spend our days driving them back and forth to sporting events and our nights uh, tapping away at our emails and on our Saturday mornings, um, you know, working and, and pushing them aside and, and pushing. Sometimes you have to work on Saturday and sometimes you need to, you know, you need your kids to to step away. But what they often don't see is us having fun. Yes. And yes. that is just both sad and also it must be extremely discouraging.
0: I mean, who would want this? Right, right. and And I think also, I mean, like you say, you know, the world that they are inheriting is, is very different from the world that I think we had as young children. And there is a lot of you know, anxiety around what is happening to this planet. Uh, so, so there's that for them. But let, let's go back to, to us, the parents. Um, you wrote, um, you know, the, this book, How to Be a Happier Parent, Raising a Family, Having a Life and Loving. Almost every minute of it, uh, I would love if you could just give us maybe a few of those strategies or tools that you came up with uh, to share with our listeners today, like to give them some food for thought of like this does not need to be so hard
1: well, as when you look at the it overall, one of the things that I did as I got ready to write this book is I did um, a I'm going to call it a survey, but I, I worked with a researcher from Fordham University and we made this as, as representative of the United States and of the parents within it as possible. And we asked people what they did every day and which things were making them happy and which things were making them feel discouraged. And some of, and between that and then other research on, happy, on happiness, I came up with four things that happier parents tend to do well and these are sort of these are the broad things right your parents are able to shift they're they're able to do what we talked about at the very beginning they shift from heavy involvement with young kids to fostering independence as their kids become more able um they don't put their kids everyday needs ahead of their own so they are out there having fun if they have a tennis lesson and suddenly their kid's soccer game is rescheduled they find somebody else to drive that kid to the soccer game they don't you know they're not sacrificing every moment in favor of the activities of of their kids happier parents also tend to look for the good part in day-to-day experiences so on just just a regular basis happier parents really happier people in general are more able to sort of driving along drive along listening to the kids bicker in the back seat and noticing the sun on the snow or whatever and thinking you know all right in a perfect world perhaps they would be singing lullabies but this is really pretty darn good so the happier parent can 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 see the good bits amongst what can sometimes you know look a little bit discouraging and then the last of the four things that i found is that happier parents know they're able to see what's really important and what is not i like to call it spotting the lions so so much of what we worry about for our kids um from them not getting the first grade teacher that their best friend got, to not making the green team in hockey, to uh, you know not getting the uh, part in the school play that they want, even right up to not getting into the college that they want to get to. None of those things are really problems. They're experiences. Mm. None of those things are tigers. None of them are going to eat them. None of them are going to eat us. So people who are happier, they recognize that we're, I mean, we're in there with our kids, you know, we, we we're disappointed with them for, you know, if if whether they've just lost their favorite Thomas, the tank engine or not gotten into the university of their choice, but people who can be happier also have a certain amount of separation. You know, they understand that they themselves are not threatened by this and also can see that their kids aren't threatened by these experiences that in fact, these are, they tend to be good experiences. I mean, when we look back on our own lives, you know, do do you sort of walk around touting your great um, championships and, and your big moments? Or is it more a story of, you know, well, this happened to me, and then I made this choice instead. And for most of us, it's the story of our, our grit and our changing and the way that we evolved past challenges that we tell ourselves, not the story of happily marching through the life without ever having lost a balloon. So, you know, happier parents are more able to do that. But those are the big general things. Then I got down into sort of really more nitty gritty and, and trying to be specific about the things that make us unhappy like mornings and homework and that soccer game that got re you know got moved and chores and I mean we you know the day-to-day challenges so it's one thing to say be happy find the happy moments and that is important but it's another thing to figure out well okay how am I going to do that when I'm standing in a sea of towels on the floor of this bathroom that has clearly not been
0: picked up in a week yeah (laughs) but what, what you know what you're sharing I love it because this does not only pertain to parents. This is just humans in general, like seeing, you know, seeing the beauty in, in everyday little details and, 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 you know, not taking things personally and making such a big deal out of it, um, I think is, is important for everybody. When you talk about what makes us unhappy, I wrote down homework. Uh, because I just wanted to share something. I realized at one point, uh, when my children were much younger, well, my daughter was entering middle school, homework was getting to be intense. Uh, She's always been pretty, you know, self motivated and does does her thing. Her younger brother, not so much. And I was working full time, and I would come home and have to deal with homework. And I just despised it. It was, I realized, like, this is not the relationship I want to have with my children. This is not fair to put this upon parents after a long day's work. So you know what? I hired somebody to deal with homework. And it was the best investment I could have made because then I came home, homework was dealt with and I could enjoy my children and start cooking dinner with them and have a nice meal with them and such. So
1: ask that for is help. an excellent solution because the one thing, I mean, you do not want to be the homework cop.
0: Oh you, I hated it. You've got
1: I- enough, uh, we've got enough battles if or or just we've got enough things with our kids, right? We mm-hmm. we have enough challenges. We don't need to add this bonus one. And and we can, you know, debating the merits of homework is a, a topic for an entirely different podcast. Oh, but 20. if you're yeah, if your kids <laughs> have it and if it is of a kind that requires help, finding someone else to help it with it is absolutely a glorious solution. You know, whether that's an older kid and they stay for an hour after school or whether it's the babysitter, uh, anything, anything, anything to make, to make that not be on you because when it's on you, suddenly it's your fault, right? It's your fault that they have it. And it's your fault that they have to do it. And it's your fault that, that, you know, it's not going well or whatever. And it's just an additional frustration I had. So I have four kids and one of them. Uh, especially when that child was younger, had a really peculiar relationship to homework and um, our love. And basically to sum up, if we felt that the child should do the homework as opposed to doing the homework for the child, the child believed that we did not love. Like there was not, like, you, you know, it, it yeah. was a very clear, It it was so frustrating because this child felt so put upon or just so challenged, I guess, by the homework. Yeah. Yeah. And that the idea that you wouldn't help, that was, that was where it all would came down to. It all came down to child on floor in kitchen wailing, you won't help me. And yeah. I mean, it was the most stressful couple of years. And eventually um, we actually went to the teacher and, and explained what was going on and in fact showed a video. <laughs> It was just like, we just can't. Like this is, uh, you know, as as the teacher knew, we were having a challenging relationship at that point anyway. And the teacher said, then don't. This is second grade. Just, just don't. I will do it. You know, every time help is necessary, you say, uh, Mrs. So-and-so is going to help you tomorrow. Uh, Mrs. So-and-so asked me not to help you so she could help you. Like she gave us life. She's, yeah, this is Mrs. So-and-so, best. Teacher
0: ever, Um, but it it. was
1: it was great. It was such a relief. So that's another alternative. If you're in this situation where homework is becoming a burden for you, is to go to the teacher and talk to them, not about your teacher are bad giving bad homework, but but about this is really impacting our relationship um, as a family. How can you know? Can you help us? Um, Yeah, I talked to another teacher who said she. When she started out in teaching, she didn't even realize. Like she just, she thought she was supposed to assign homework. And she was probably. And she didn't, um, she didn't understand what happened when she sent home a book and said, you know, discuss this with your parent when that parent wasn't coming home till work, from work until six. And there were three other kids and bedtime is supposed to be. She just, so it took a a couple of parents coming in and saying, you know, this is, this is how this is affecting our family lives for her to go, hmm, maybe I'm going to, you know, try to assign things differently or make sure that the things I send home are entirely doable by the kids or talk to the parents about my expectations. So that was another way that um, somebody was able to make, to make change. There are a lot of things you can do around homework, but the biggest thing is just, as you said, not taking it on as your own.
0: This is not your homework. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I mean, to me, you know, there are some parents out there that that enjoy that. And that's part of their relationship with their child. And and that's fine. For me, it just it was just this awareness that it was a relationship that I did not want to have. Like it was it was it ended up being kind of this power struggle that I Mm -hmm. just did not enjoy. And, and I think it also just brought back you know, I didn't enjoy homework when I was a child. So here I was, forcing this upon my children when I knew, I knew where they were coming from. So it, it was just fascinating how it was just really about the that relationship. Um, yeah. And and like you say, I mean, it's it's a whole other topic, and I just wish we would do away with homework altogether because it's just for me, it's setting them up for you know bringing work home. I don't know, it's just, it's a whole other philosophy. It definitely has And that's why I like, you know, um, Montessori schools where where there is no homework. Like, Mm -hmm. the the schoolwork is done at school, and, and at home you have plenty, plenty of other things you can be doing, so not to do homework. So,
1: yeah, you know, maybe you're good at helping a kid with math, and maybe you're not. Maybe you're patient, and maybe you're not. Maybe you know how to do this kind of math the way that it's supposed to be done, and maybe you don't. I, I don't know. It's just such a it's it's no. such a minefield. But and then even if you're not helping with it, you really you have to know what's going on with it. Right. Because you have to be able to help, a ch- especially a younger child. Well, you have you know a sports practice tonight or you have a violin lesson or we're all having dinner with the family across the street. So you're going to want to do this before dinner rather than after. So there's almost no getting around some amount of homework negotiation and discussion but boy keeping it to a minimum is key yes
0: definitely definitely so you say you have four children i do and how what are their ages now they are 13 14 15
1: and 18 18 okay yeah and so when i wrote wrote
0: the book they
1: were the oldest was 15 okay when i wrote because you know it takes it takes time so a lot of the things in the book um involve my kids at a much at a much younger age. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of my segue is I know you just you were sharing that you you have a novel coming out, uh, the Chicken Sisters, which is very exciting. And, you know, for for parents who are listening, who want to take on a project like this, and also have children at home, how do you manage it? How did you? How did you do it all?
1: Um. Well, I, I, when I ran the Motherlode blog at the New York Times, that was a full time job. I uh-huh. did not try to do that in between having uh little you know little kids at home. I was not trying. I was not. Um, I was not. I didn't have any illusions about that being something I could sort of do on the side. It was a full forty plus hour a week endeavor, and I had help. I had a babysitter uh, to do at least some of the driving. I have a partner who picks up a lot of the slack. Um, You know, we do not, we do not eat gourmet meals every night and I do not drive to every sports practice I I have elaborate carpools (laughs) set up around those things. So, so the answer is I I really, I never, ever, ever pretended or imagined that I could do everything. Um, You can't. You can write a novel with a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an 18-year-old in the next room. You cannot write a no- novel with an 8-year-old, a 9-year-old, you know. um, So it depends on how old your children are. But I, I, this was a, a job, and I, that was a job, and I treated it as a job. And then when I segued into working on the novel, um, I had just come out of writing How to Be a Happier Parent, so I had that structure already built. Of uh, you know how and when I would sit down and put my butt in the chair and get some words on paper. Um, it, But that is not to say that it is ever easy. But the time is there. The, right. The, right. The framework is there. I have. I also host a co-host a podcast called um, writing. and so we talk to a lot of writers with young kids at home or, or medium age kids at home or people with day jobs. Um, I wrote How to Be a Happier Parent while, partly at least, while having the mother love job so that it was uh, something that I wrote sort of in in the non-hours. And we talk a lot about how to protect your own time and how to value your own time. And everybody's structure for that tends to look different, but it starts with deciding that you deserve to have, you know, that mm. that time is yours, um, whether... Right you're going to write a novel after um you know being at home with kids and getting the last one into first grade i mean there's there's that moment when you can either do a lot of volunteering or you can you know you can find your find yourself find your way back into something that you once loved that you want to do again you've got a lot of options but because we put so much weight on that, the parenting thing. I think mm-hmm. it's really, it can be really difficult for people to, I don't even, you, you shouldn't have to carve out time. That's, that's not the word. Our time is, you know, we, we are adults who should choose how we spend our time. And we should choose to spend some of it in doing wonderful things with our family and in doing less than wonderful things with our
0: family. But we also get to spend some of it on things that are important to us and that that is so important to 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 say that because i think that a lot of parents especially of younger children tend to lose that you know what what do i want to be doing what mm-hmm. you know and 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 there you know i think maybe it is when they are younger you do need to you know quote unquote carve time out because you need to plan for that you know other person who might, you might need childcare or you might need to, you know, uh, work it out with your partner or whatever, but it's so important to make time to, to be with yourself really, Mm -hmm. or or to be with, with other, other adults that aren't necessarily, you know, your partner and, um, and such. So, yeah. I had a rule when
1: my kids were younger that I never, ever, ever, Did anything while there was a babysitter, or they were at school, that they could conceivably go with me to do? So I did not grocery shop. I did not run errands. I did not. uh, I didn't really clean. You know, if I could do it when they were home, then I did it when they were home. Um, Right. And the time when they were not home, or when they they had a babysitter, was absolutely one hundred percent strictly reserved for things that could not be done with them present.
0: That's a very good rule, very good rule, because a lot of the things that you can be doing when they're home, you should also be involving them to do yes. with you, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was definitely yeah. another piece of it. They're, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so how, which, which, um, it kind of segues ways into chores, how were, how did you do kind of that whole, because for children, that's, that's a lot to manage, you know, four little people to to manage into helping around the house and such. And I think, honestly, for me, that is part of being a happier parent is not taking on all of those chores on your own, and and really involving your children with it. I don't know if you agree. I wholeheartedly (laughs) agree.
1: I don't put like, I don't put my foot down on anything in the book other than Uh, that if you are clearing your child's plate and dish from the table while your child gets up and merrily skips away and your child is actually capable of clearing that plate and dish, you are doing it wrong. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing. That's That's my sort of my line in the sand. They have to help. If they're not helping, there's a couple of things happening. One is that you are probably secretly resenting that they are not happening. Two is that they are learning that they don't have to help for some mysterious reason, the world has provided them with a life in which all of the debris of their existence vanishes without them having any um, need to say or do anything about it. That would be really cool if we could get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is not the way that life works. So, oh. you know, if you are raising a child that does not at least know what to do with the towel and the dish and the leftovers and. uh Oh, and the dog food and all of the other things. If nothing else, you are wa- raising the worst college roommate ever. Mm. So, so, true. I, so it's true. so important. On the other hand, it's so hard. It's just flat out hard. Mm. Why Why do you say it's so hard? Because the sad and awful and horrible and hateful truth about children and chores is that the only way to get them to do them is to make them do them. So you <laughs> You cannot, you sort of can't, you can't blame them or you can't blame anyone else for the fact that you're, you know, the, the kid is not, I'm not going to say you because it's my kids, you know, for the cat fact that the kid is not picking the towel up off of the bathroom floor. The reason the kid is not picking up the towel off the bathroom floor is because I, the parent, have not created a world in which the expectation is that the child will pick up the bat- towel off of the bathroom floor. I haven't bugged them enough. I haven't created the right incentives or the right punishments or whatever. There are a billion ways to get kids or to encourage them to do these things. But ultimately, the, the, sort of, it all just comes down to that final question of are you going to keep after them or are you just going to give up and do it yourself? It is yeah. so much easier yeah. to give up and do it yourself.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I if I agree with that. I guess for me it just really starts like at the from the very beginning. Don't don't wait until, you know, they're 13 to show them how to put things away. Like you 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 work with them from a very early age when they are excited about doing these things and and so you're giving them you're showing them you're modeling you're giving them the tools so that later you can just say hey i know you know how to do this and this is how we do it in this house and this is your my expectation but it, but it's true like when you say it's hard i think it's just it's hard constant on- Exactly. It's, it's, it's us being super consistent. Like, like what you say, you know, it's true. It's so much easier to just do it yourself Yeah, because it gets done faster and, and all of this, but it's that, I think it's the work that you put in at the beginning that you will reap the benefits later on.
1: I totally agree yeah. with you. It, yeah. it, getting kids, you know, the, the moment to start help getting your kids to help around the house, to do whatever they can is right this minute. Um, right, and right. the moment to stop asking them is never. And the, the, <laughs> yes. I think that what, what I see when I, t- and I interviewed a lot of people on this, and I found a lot of different things that worked, but what I saw most consistently and the place where we were all struggling was that, okay, sometimes you're going to grab the towel right because sometimes mm-hmm. for your partner you would grab the towel sometimes for a stranger on the street you would grab the towel right. so um or you know whatever it's it's watching ourselves so that we're not letting our kids off the hook far more often than we realize right that's challenging and especially when we've um created this world in which our kids are so occupied um they Especially as they get older, they tend to have a lot of things going on. Uh, the modern western middle to upper middle class kid has stuff all you know fifteen hours a day or whatever and so the temptation to let them off this because they've got homework or to let them off it because they've got a sports practice or to let them off because they really need to sleep a little extra and not get up and empty the dishwasher is constant and omnipresent and we really have to step back and realize that chores helping around the house is like an important and integral part of being a family. It's not a sideline to your responsibilities as a student and an athlete. It's like, you know, a human thing. It's it's important. It's up there. So we have to really
0: value it and I think that's hard. Yeah, it is, but I I mean, for me personally, I'm so glad that I stay consistent because I see now my 19 year old just um, went off to community college in August and he moved into a house with 21 roommates oh my goodness (laughs) and (laughs) and it's a lot of roommates it's a lot of roommates and they share one kitchen and he that is his biggest thing is like people don't know how to clean up after themselves and he's so and he gets so upset so I think he will reevaluate his housing <laughs> things for next year but it's been a great experience you know he wanted the the dorm experience and community college doesn't provide that so this was the the uh best pretty next close thing yeah and it's it's been great because he has you know he has two roommates and the house is co-ed and but it's you know negotiating sharing a kitchen with twenty other people and you know he says they just don't know how to clean up and he's actually happy to come home to a clean kitchen so <laughs> so it's been it's been it's been yeah. very you know it's been and I can see that for him you know he values that because it's just always been part of living together it's not mm-hmm. like you say it's not you know. It's not something you get paid for or you, you know, an extra thing. It's just part of living in a community and your right. community is your family. So,
1: And yeah. by contrast, my now 18-year-old is on a gap year. And okay. part of that took the form of living by himself in an apartment in wow. Madrid for several months and uh-huh. doing all of his own laundry and doing his you know cooking to and and keeping it cleaned up and looking out for his bathroom and he he was you know he was able he was both able and capable and also you know it really soaked in for him how much is involved in even Mm -hmm. just doing that for for yourself so he's pretty excited to move into a dorm next year (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's wonderful Yeah. yeah
1: So yep. that, that's that's what we're doing, right? We're just yep. trying to create kids that can go out and, and have these experiences and learn from them and uh, not have their roommates trailing after them shrieking, you know, that dish doesn't put itself in, you know, it doesn't wash yeah.
0: itself. Exactly. Yeah yeah he's tried my son's tried leaving signs out but it's not working. <laughs> yeah no 21
1: people is too many. Yeah
0: yeah yeah. I I
1: read a really funny piece of office kitchen research that he you know that if you put like a little sign with eyes above whatever you want people to do they're more likely to do it cuz the sign is watching them. Isn't that Whoa. weird? But it's totally true. You could dig it up and find it and send it to him and he could make a little sign that said you know Please put your mug, wash your mug away. Sine is watching you or just eyes or just stick the eyes up. Apparently the eyes really, uh, for some reason that helps, but uh, we've all had those roommates. Let's just,
0: we're just trying not to raise those roommates. That's exactly, all. exactly. Well, this has been a delightful conversation. And I think there's plenty of other topics we could move into. But just for the essence of time, I wanted to wrap up with a more personal question, if I may. And that is, you said your eldest is 18. So Mm -hmm. if you were to go back to 19 years ago when you were expecting your first child, what wise words would you (laughs) tell yourself knowing all that you know today?
1: Well, the nitty gritty wise words I would tell myself were that child does not need swim lessons until that wild child is at least three years old because I spent a ridiculous amount of time in a very cold pool at the YMCA in Manhattan. Um, that was unnecessary. That was silly. <laughs> nitty nitty gritty lesson. Take the baby where you want to go. Don't go to baby things unless you want to meet other parents. That's a different question. Um, but the the bigger the bigger piece of advice. What would I say to my younger self as a bigger piece of advice? Um, I I think I would remind myself because I I did know that I learned this at some point along the way that. I, I need to let them be who they are, um, that, that I need to let them have their experiences, that their childhood is not within my control. And the way that they perceive what's happening to them is not within my control. And it's not supposed to be. They're supposed to grow up into their own person without me leaning on them. And trying to push them into, you know, being happy if they're not, or being sad if they're not, or being interested in something that they're not, Uh, that would have been, that would have been a good thing to figure out earlier. Mm -hmm. Wonderful.
0: Thank you so much, uh, KJ. And, And are there any parting words that you want to leave our listeners with today? No, except that I would just note that not every
1: parent wants to be happier, but I think we've all got us in us to um to to try for a little and
0: to deserve to have a little more happiness. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time. (laughs)